Welcome back to the Getting Grit Podcast. I am Brad Pohl, your host, and this is where we tell the stories of sinners and saints. At one time, did everyone believe that the earth was flat? I mean, was it only Columbus who dared to travel towards the edge of the world without fear of falling off? Or was it the cooperative enterprise of dedicated, fallible human beings in collaboration and sheer good luck that were the essential elements of that discovery? Actually, very few people throughout the Middle Ages believed that the world was flat. The early church fathers, Augustine, Jerome, and Ambrose, all agreed that the earth was round. St. Thomas Aquinas followed Aristotle's proof, demonstrating the changing positions of the constellations as one moved about on the earth's surface, indicating the earth was round. Columbus's proposal that the distance from Spain going west to China was shorter and safer than going around the continent of Africa. The church only argued that the round earth was larger than Columbus claimed, and his circumnavigation would take too long. Columbus didn't prove the earth was round. That was well understood. He just stumbled into a continent that happened to be in his way, something that turned out to be a fork in the road. We often forget in our newfound understanding and perceived wisdom that the march of humankind has not been a steady march but rather an agonizing, brutal crawl. However, we have invented a lot of stuff along the way, and that has made life more comfortable and easy. We are currently engulfed in a great moral dilemma, all the while excited about our new creation in this thing called artificial intelligence. Insomuch as we are experiencing the history of the past repeating itself in the present again and again, our present time might very well be best remembered for the creation of an intelligence that really was truly artificial. In our rush to make everything simple and perfect, we are forgetting that a battle was fought and won before Caesar crossed that small stream named the Rubicon. And without that victory, he doesn't. When you come to a fork in the road, relying on your past, being willing to step into the unknown, trusting your gut, like crossing a small stream, believing in your moment, it's almost often aided by others. Marion Morrison was bullied as a kid, but a fireman in his city befriended him and taught him how to box, then nicknamed that tall, skinny kid Duke. The Duke went on to defend himself against that bully, never looking back, becoming a man of true grit. Merle Ronald was an inmate in San Quentin, despite the fact his mama tried to raise him better. He almost escaped in a huge wooden desk built for a judge by he and other inmates but didn't follow through on the advice of the man who did, who was later captured and sent to the gas chamber. The Oki from Muskogee was paroled two years later and would perform for all the ex-convicts in the house. Sing me back home. George had to make money during the Depression. He turned to exotic wrestling and built quite a gorgeous following before he died of a heart attack at the age of 48. But in the late 50s, he had the band leader Elston Gunn perform for his grand entry. Passing by, he momentarily nodded to the band, saying, You're making it come alive. Elston Gunn, who was born Robert Zimmerman, dreamed of becoming a West Point officer as a boy, but traded in those dreams on the spot, like a rolling stone. That tambourine man went on to write about a hard rain's gonna fall, and his poetry and music did make the sounds of the 60s come alive. 
1950, a young soldier hitches a ride on a plane, heading back home from Seattle to San Francisco. The pilot shouldn't have allowed it, but had sympathy for the man called Junior. A few hours later, crashed in the Pacific, the pilot and Junior are sitting on the wings of the plane, miraculously discussing their options. How far is land, Junior asks. Unknowing, but now out of options, the two men plunge into the sea and begin to swim in a direction that is best guess on a foggy night. After three miles in the open ocean, Junior, the future Rowdy Yates, would find the shore and relive all the good, the bad, and the ugly in future tales of desperate courage. He didn't start in high school. He was too small. By his freshman year in college, he only weighed 145 pounds. Louisville was the only college that gave him a chance, and they were awful. John Constantine played semi-pro football after being cut by the Steelers, who had miraculously chosen him in the ninth round, but considered him just too small when he reached camp. A few years later, desperate for a backup quarterback, the Baltimore Colts pick him, and four games into the season, their starter, George Shaw, goes down with a broken leg. Up 20-14 to 14 over the Bears when he goes in, his first pass is a pick six. His second play is a fumble scoop and score, and then another one. And he loses 58-27 in his big opportunity. Beginnings don't necessarily define a man. After an 18-year career in the NFL, in 1979, Johnny Constantine Unitas was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and considered by many in his era to be the greatest quarterback of all time. The young man was setting a storied franchise's record for strikeouts and struggling in an 0-22 streak at the plate. He just wanted to quit and go home. His father was a miner who worked in a pit. And when he got to the boy, he said, I'm taking you home. You're going to be a miner just like me. Thought I'd raised you different, but I guess I made a mistake. You're acting like a coward wanting to quit. Sometimes we all need a little tough love. Mickey Mantle sure did. Without a little humility, a man is likely to believe the notion that his life is his own creation through his own personal direction and self-will, rather than choosing the fork in the road less traveled, which we all come to, and our own choices are always more dramatic because they're our own. And seeing the people not artificial people, who have surrounded us and who have made the difference in us, helping us to discover our grit, warning us to be patient, igniting in us the flame to become fully alive, daring with us in our great challenges, and believing that we are more than just one failure might say we are, and providing a little tough love as well. Our faith life is not any different. The invitation we find at that fork in the road to become a little more like Jesus, a little less like us, through the acts of mercy and service that Christ has chosen for us to accomplish alongside the people around us. That simple but not easy reality is that to love Christ back because he first loved us, it's hard work and we need help. The church teaches us to say, Veni Sancte Spiritus, ain't it so?
This is Gittin' Grit signing off. Blessings to you all. Dominus Bobiscum.